but uh, that would be that would be somewhat problematic. <laughs> so, and then we would be in a lot of trouble. So, uh, but anyways, uh, it's a beautiful day and uh, a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, just want to thank everyone for being here this morning. Um, we have an, a number of uh, a number of announcements uh, that need to be made this morning. Uh, uh, number one, the uh, uh, we will be. Uh, we will be forming uh, the pulpit committee. Uh, it has uh, been our intent uh, from the from the get-go uh, that Ian uh, would be uh, is the uh, it is it is uh, being planned that Ian will uh, become our our full-time pastor uh, uh, at the at the, in in the near future. Uh, but in order to do that, we will need to uh, form the pulpit committee. Uh, which would be a representative from the uh, different boards. And so uh, Ian will be uh, acting or uh, uh, functioning uh, more in the role of uh, a full-time pastor. And uh, so we will be paying him uh, since he will be functioning more as a full-time pastor as opposed to uh, coming up and preaching on Sunday morning. Uh, so we'll be paying him uh, a commensurate uh, with that and uh, and uh, et cetera, and his uh, uh, just uh, coming into the pastorate, et cetera. So uh, we will be doing that. If anybody has any questions on that, uh, they can see uh, uh, me or Dean afterwards. Uh, things are going well on the uh, on the uh, painting out back, and uh, it's coming along well. And the painting is looking good, and uh, we should have enough of the uh, the painting should be done within a week or two. Uh, so we should have the uh, electrical uh, being done upstairs, and uh, that'll be exciting. And uh, and they also uh, uh, were able to uh, get up the majority of the uh, fire escape uh, this week. Uh, there are no, uh, we're debating on whether to say anything because we don't want people running up and down the stairs with no, uh, with no rails. Uh, but anyways, uh, that's a, a, big, a big piece of equipment out back. And so I was uh, pleased to see that done. And uh, so we'll just keep on, keep on plugging along. Uh, one other announcement that I need to make is uh, regarding the pool party at Diane's uh, next Sunday uh, from 1 to 3. And if you are planning on being there, uh, just uh, uh, drop her a note and uh, let her know that uh, you're planning on being there, uh, et cetera. And uh, I think that was the only announcement I was supposed to make. Uh, did I miss anything? Yes, Allison. Thank you. Uh, one other announcement that I neglected to make: the uh, Steve's uh, committal service will be um, the family. Um, the family service will be here on Sunday morning, and 
Did I say Sunday? Okay, yeah, not Sunday. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Uh, Saturday morning at 11 will be the service here for the family. And then uh, after that, at 1 o'clock, there will be a um, the uh, committal service at Hunt Cemetery uh, for um, family and friends and church family, etc. cetera. Uh, and so... Um, so that'll be one o'clock on uh, on Saturday, and uh, anything else? Yes, Brian. Wonderful. Yeah, they we have we have a designated person that gathers that up every so often. So we'll uh, we'll. Uh, well, it might, if it's not been taken care of, it'll be taken care of. Thank you, Brian. All right. Okay. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us and the, the beautiful sunshine and the glory of your creation and we think of, uh, we just thank you for the opportunity that we can be here. We thank you most of all for our salvation through your son, Jesus. And that we could live a new life in you. And we pray that you would help us uh, in our daily lives, that you would help us uh, not to forget that and that whose ambassadors we are and that we would be good ambassadors for Christ. And, uh, we just um, pray that you would watch over the, uh, the service today. We pray that you would, uh, you would speak through us, that you would guide us, and that you would uh, help us to hear your word today. We pray that you would watch over Ian as he brings the message and that your Holy Spirit would speak through him. And we pray that uh, as we have the uh, services on Saturday, and a lot of family up here and many that, that don't know you. And we pray that you would just uh, watch over that service as well and, uh, and that your gospel would be proclaimed and that people might hear it and respond to it and that uh, there might be souls added to the roles of heaven. So again, we uh, pray that you'd watch over our service this morning. We thank you. Uh, for each one that is here, we think of those that may not be here this morning for whatever reason. Uh, we pray that you would uh, bring them back to us again soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We had, uh, we have been uh, meeting uh, a little bit in the last little while about, about uh, doing some things a little bit differently. Uh, in our service and maybe putting in some uh, newer music and uh, music that isn't uh, necessarily in our hymn book, etc., and maybe some more uh, contemporary music, etc. And so we've uh, we're going to be learning. Uh, you should have your uh, handout uh, in your bulletin. Uh, we will be learning a new song this morning. Uh, but uh, so I'm, we're excited about that, and so over the next few weeks, we're gonna we're gonna learn a song, and then we're gonna sing it to death, and then we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna learn a song, we're gonna sing it to death until we know it, and then uh, and then we'll be able to kind of add that into 
uh, the songs that we sing. I find that's the best way to learn something is repetition. So we will, we will, um, we will learn these songs. So we're excited about that. And uh, so, if uh, if we could, uh, let's see here. Okay, so we'll start with. I was debating on whether we're to sing all of the songs together or to uh, or to read the scripture first. Why don't we go ahead and read the scripture first? Uh, Psalm 85. If you'd like to turn with me. <coughs> Psalm 85. I'm reading through uh, Psalm in uh, in my devotional time in the morning, and uh, I just read this a uh, a week or so ago. Uh, good stuff. Psalm 85. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from the heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today. <clears throat> And now let's stand and we will sing uh, number 78 and then we will go right into uh, number 34, He is Lord. Let's stand and sing number 78. Oh, I guess I got it backwards, but that's okay. Let's stand and we'll sing 78. King, in what you hear, 
May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. And number 34, he's Lord. Turn with me to number 225. Come, Christians, join and sing. Alleluia. Amen. Let's sing the first and the last verses. Come, Christians, join to sing. Alleluia. to Christ our King. Alleluia. Amen. Let all with heart and voice before His throne rejoice. Praise is His gracious choice. Alleluia. Amen. Praise yet our Christ again. Alleluia. Amen. Life shall not end the strain. Alleluia. Amen. On heaven's blissful shore, his goodness will adore, singing forevermore. Alleluia. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. And now would the uh, ushers come forward for the morning offering, please.
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the Praise Mother, Son, and Holy seated. And now we will have some special music and I will sit down and uh, Ian and Miranda will do what they're going to do. Actually, not right, right. Congregational singing, right.
going to spend some time now in prayer together to the Lord. Any, any prayer requests that we didn't manage to get into the, uh, into the offering? Any requests or praises, thanksgivings? All right, let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Oh Lord, we give thanks to you. We call upon your name. We sing praises to you. We tell of your wondrous works. We glory in your holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek you rejoice. We seek you, the Lord, the one true God, and we seek your strength. We seek your presence continually. We remember the wondrous works that you have done. And we come, Almighty Father, conscious of our own sin, that we've wandered and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We've followed too much the desires of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws not doing the things that we should have done and doing things we shouldn't have done. And Lord, we, we ask that you'd have mercy on us. That you'd restore all those who come to you in repentance to confess according to the promises that you've given to us in our great Savior, Jesus Christ. We have confidence that for those who confess, who come into the light, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in the powerful blood of Jesus grant father for his sake that we would live an increasingly godly and righteous life to the glory of your holy name father we we come and uh and we come with needs some of us with heavy hearts this morning with hard weeks or having hard lives we bring it all to you father you the god of all grace and comfort and peace we thank lord as we have been thinking and praying for Jane and her family, for Tracy, and all those who have known and loved Steve and are mourning his loss. We pray, Lord, that this Saturday would be a time um, where we'd be able to celebrate his life. We'd be able to remember what a blessing he, has, he was uh, from you and, um, and to be able to mourn his death and also to celebrate that he's with you. What a great promise that is. We pray that you'd be with Pastor Phil as he prepares to officiate the service this Saturday, that you would be glorified, that Steve would be honored. We think, Lord, of all those who have medical concerns in our church. Think of those with cancer. Think of Sarah Calvert, who's still struggling. We think of Andrea Littlefield, who's still recovering. Steve Wadsworth and his upcoming surgery that he now has a date for. We thank you, Lord, that he's has that date for his heart surgery. We think of um, the, the Palmer family as well, Lord. We thank you that Herm is with us this morning. He's able to be with us on a Sunday, and we just pray that you continue to give him breath. We thank, Lord, of Millie Burke and her struggles this week. We just pray that you'd be with her, that you'd comfort her. We, we pray for our, ourselves, Lord, for our congregation as we grieve the loss of our, our pastor. Pray that you'd give wisdom to us as we move forward. Pray that you'd grant us unity in a, in a difficult time on top of everything else that's going on in the world, that we'd have unity behind the, the name of Christ. 
pray that you'd give us wisdom in a trying time in the world, that you'd give wisdom to our government, to our leaders. They need it. We thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to be able to worship you freely. Pray that you'd continue to grant us that same freedom. It's a privilege that's not granted to all your people. In many places, your people have to gather against the law and under the radar. We pray that you'd give us freedom to continue worshiping openly. We pray that you'd help us, Lord, if it would be your will that we would no longer be able to do that. That you'd give us courage and boldness. Father, in all things, we, we want to strive for a faithful and a winsome witness in the world. Please help us to live as salt and light in a world that desperately needs you. We don't want to be ashamed on the last day, either because we didn't stand for the truth when we should have. And we also don't want to be ashamed for standing for the truth without compassion and love. We pray that you'd help us to do both. You know, our Savior held those two together so perfectly, truth and love, hard truth at times with great love always. Help us to learn from his example, to stand for the truth when we need to, firmly, but to do so with love so that the world would look to you and know the tender heart of Jesus for sinners. We pray, Father, that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and our knowledge of you, that we'd have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we'd know what is the hope to which you've called us, that we'd know the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, that we'd know the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe according to the working of your great might that you worked in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places. We thank you, Father, for your work in creation, for the beautiful days we've had this past week, for the summer air and the sunshine. We praise you for your son. We thank you for the price he paid, his blood and his body spilt and broken for our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for the promise of life everlasting that we have in him. What a joy it is, what hope we have. We thank you for your spirit, for his working in our hearts and in this body. We thank you, Father, for all your faithfulness to work in all of creation and in our own hearts. We're grateful for all your good gifts this morning, Father. We give all of this to you. We do it in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Jesus is someone who's impossible to avoid. He's impossible to avoid. The person of Jesus, through his teaching and through his church, is the most important cultural and religious force in the world. Just practically, Jesus is unavoidable in the world. The Bible, Jesus' book, is the most widely published book in the world. More copies than any other book ever published. Followers of Jesus, Christians, make up the largest religion in the world, more than any other single belief system. Even the way the world counts time points to Jesus. Even just to, to give the year that we're in means counting back to the time when Jesus was on earth. A.D. 2020, Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. The way we mark history revolves around Jesus.
Jesus is impossible to avoid. But in the last 2,000 or so years, not everyone has reacted to Jesus with love and faith. Some reject him, some ignore him. Many people hold to rival faiths, rival claims about the nature of the universe. And increasingly, in our secular society, people are unsure about Jesus and God, either outright refusing him or to believe in his existence or merely saying, I don't know if I can really know about Jesus and God. It's especially true in Maine. We're one of the least Christian states in the nation. A lot of our neighbors are skeptical and doubtful about Jesus and about the Bible. Many people, if you, if you asked them, they might vaguely claim to be Christians or maybe to believe in God or in Jesus, but without much certainty or clarity or real effect on their lives. All of us really do have to reckon with him, though. You have to reckon with Jesus. His, his life and his teaching are so influential in the world and in history that he's impossible to avoid. Everyone has to form an opinion about Jesus. And it would be irresponsible not to. Because frankly, Jesus made some astounding claims about himself and about his mission in the world. He claimed that he was God incarnate, God the Son in human flesh, who'd come into the world in order to save the world from sin and death. He claimed to be on a rescue mission for the human race and that the only way to avoid death and hell is to believe in him. I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus' words. To those who believe in him, Jesus has promised an eternity of joy and life in the presence of God in a renewed world. If Jesus is to be believed, the difference between faith and rejection is vast. The person of Jesus is unavoidable, and his claims are astounding. It really matters what you do with Jesus. As I look around this room, I know most of us here believe that. But if you're someone who happens to be teetering on the fence, or if you've never taken a serious look at Jesus, you should. Because if Jesus was telling the truth, which he was, the only rational, reasonable response to him is to come to him in humility, to bow down at the feet of our God and to worship What have you done with Jesus? It's our question for this morning. What have you done with Jesus? Have you rejected him? Have you ignored him? Have you put him on the back burner? Have you written him off as obsolete? Or have you embraced him as your Savior and your Lord? We're going to see this morning that what you do with Jesus matters. It's our big idea. What you do with Jesus matters matters. And we're going to see three ways that that simple truth plays out in the lives of people. Our passage today records three groups of people who saw what Jesus was doing and heard what Jesus was saying, and each group dealt with Jesus differently. Our passage today is in Mark chapter 3, continuing our series through Mark. Mark chapter 3, 
starting in, vor- in verse 20. If you're using the Pew Bible this morning, it's 814, page 814 in the Brown Bible, and page 709 in the Black Pew Bible. Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. We'll read through the end of the chapter. Mark 3, starting in verse 20. Then he, Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one enters a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is the word of God. Let's pray this morning as we go to his word. Father, give us grace this morning to hear your word. Open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. We are sojourners and exiles on this wayward earth, and we long for heaven and for home, for your presence and your goodness. As people who are not home yet, we long to hear a word from home, from you, our God. Make us hungry for the bread of your word. Make us thirsty for the water of your truth. And then, in your grace, spread the table in front of us, so that we can feast on the good food of your word. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're picking up this week where we left off last week. Jesus and his newly appointed apostles come down off the mountain into the chaos of public ministry again. Remember, there's crowds of people from all over the place who had come to see Jesus, the miracle-working teacher. And immediately after coming down off the mountain, Jesus and his disciples are mobbed. Verse 20, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they couldn't even eat. The crowd was so physically dense that Jesus and the disciples couldn't even get over to Circle K for a slice of pizza. (laughs) There were were so many needs to meet, so many sick to heal, that there was no time for supper. Jesus' life at this point was just an endless string of 
of personal ministry to a never-ending line of sick and needy and demon-possessed people. Verse 21, and when his family heard it, his family heard about it. When, uh, when Miranda sees that I have been working too long without a break, she tells me, take a break. And that's what Jesus' family was planning to do, only they didn't just think he needed a break. They thought he was having a mental break, verse 21. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. The first group to react to Jesus in our passage today is Jesus' own family. Jesus' own family, at, this, at least at this point in his ministry, thought he was out of his mind. They thought he should be in a straitjacket. They didn't see that he was really from God. Later, we're going to see that Mary, Jesus' mother, came with his brothers to find him. We're not told whether or not Mary herself thought that Jesus was out of his mind. Uh, my personal opinion, I don't think she thought that, based on how she's portrayed in the rest of the Gospels. I think his brothers were the, the ones who thought he was out of his mind, but she came along. What we can say for sure is that members of his family heard the commotion that he was causing and came to seize him, thinking he was out of his mind. They were coming to shut Jesus down. This passage is going to be another uh, sandwich. We'll deal with Jesus' family actually here at the beginning and at the end. So we'll come back to Jesus' family once we get through to the end of the passage. Jesus' family is the first group. The second group of people who react to Jesus in the passage are the scribes. If you remember, the scribes were the Jewish, Jewish religious teachers of the day. They read and protected and interpreted God's word to the Jewish people. These were the religious authorities, and again, as before, Jesus finds himself in conflict with them. Previously, we've seen Jesus and the religious leaders at odds on a number of issues. When Jesus claimed to forgive sins, when he ate with sinners, when his disciples didn't fast, and over the issue of the Sabbath. In the minds of the religious authorities, Jesus was a threat to their teaching. And in this passage, the scribes are from Jerusalem. They've come from the heart of the Jewish nation and the Jewish religious life. And by this point, the religious authorities were no longer questioning Jesus. They came down from Jerusalem to straight up discredit him. Listen to their response to Jesus. It's the first words out of their mouth. Verse 22, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. Notice, I think this is interesting, that the enemies of Jesus weren't calling his bluff on his authority to cast out demons. Over and over, Jesus demonstrated his authority, his real authority, over the spiritual realm. And the one group which would have loved to prove that it was all smoke and mirrors couldn't. They saw that Jesus was the real deal, that in him was real, potent, spiritual authority. They couldn't prove it was a fake. He was a fake. Seeing that they could never convince the crowd, the crowd that he lacked spiritual authority, they started a smear campaign of attack ads. 
You know Jesus has authority over demons, but what you don't know is that his authority is actually from Satan. Beelzebul, by this time, was a, a name that was synonymous with Satan, the prince of demons. And in order to convince the people that Jesus wasn't from God, the scribes actually accused him of being from Satan. And Jesus defends himself. First, with simple logic. Verse 23. He called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. The logic is inescapable. Jesus, in casting out demons, was actually limiting and binding the authority of Satan and the spiritual powers of darkness. But why on earth would Satan lend his power for that task? Why, if Jesus was coming in the power of Satan, would he then come and bind the powers of Satan? It just doesn't make sense. So Jesus counters the attack ad of the scribes with a fact check, showing that he couldn't possibly be doing the work of Satan. And in so doing, he actually goes and describes his real work, his real mission. Verse 26 again. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. Verse 27. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house. The fact was that Jesus was coming into the world where Satan and his lies and his kingdom had had a home for so long to bind Satan and plunder his house. Jesus demonstrated with his deeds what the Apostle John tells us in his first letter that Jesus came, quote, to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. Ever since the garden, Satan had had his way with the world. Not that he was out of God's control. We know that from the book of Job, Satan, even from the beginning, was on a leash. The only things he can do are the ones which God allows him to do. But for a very long time, God had allowed Satan to have his way in much of the world. We're told by the apostle Paul in Ephesians that those who walk in sin in the world not knowing God, are actually, quote, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Since the fall, when Adam and Eve believed the lie of the serpent in the garden, the human race has been under Satan's spell, deceived into sin and disobedience. Jesus had come into the world, God's world, which had been so long held hostage by the powers of darkness in the fullness of time to restrain the strong man and to plunder his house. Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil and to claim a people for himself. That, I think, is the plunder. It's us. It's every person who, after following the way of sin and Satan, is seized by the Spirit of God, brought to repentance and faith in Christ, brought into the kingdom of light, forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and given new life forever with God. Jesus came to restrain the strong man and plunder his goods. The scribes had things entirely backwards. 
Jesus didn't come with Satan, Satan's power. He came to destroy Satan's power and to win for himself a people rescued from sin and death and the lies of the devil. Jesus came to bring in the kingdom of the one true God. What the scribes didn't fully realize was that in rejecting Jesus and in condemning him, they were condemning the work of God. And in calling the power of Jesus satanic, they were calling God the devil. It's blasphemy. Here's our first case study in why what you do with Jesus matters. Remember, that's our big idea. And it was a while ago. What you do with Jesus matters. First, because those who slander God's work in Jesus are blasphemers of God. Verse 28, truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he, Jesus, has an unclean spirit. Blasphemy isn't a word we use a lot today. It, uh, it means irreverent and malevolent talk about God. Blasphemy treats God, who is holy, like he's not. We've encountered the idea of blasphemy already in Mark, uh, when Jesus claimed to forgive sins. And the Pharisees accused him of blasphemy. Remember that. Because only God can forgive sins. Jesus was talking like he was God, and the Pharisees didn't believe him. If you talk like God and you're not, that's blasphemy. But Jesus actually was God. And when the scribes here in this passage talk to Jesus, who is God, like he isn't, instead saying that he's possessed by Satan, that's blasphemy. Those who slander God's work in Jesus are blasphemers of God. You've probably heard the, the term unforgivable sin, the unforgivable sin. This is the passage that that idea comes from. It's often misunderstood, and um, to most people, it comes across like a threat. There's a sin that I could commit that, uh, that can't be forgiven. According to this passage, yes, and it's this. The unforgivable sin is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit like the scribes did, to look Jesus square in the face and accuse him of being the devil. They blasphemed the Holy Spirit because Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and instead of acknowledging that, the scribes said he was filled with the spirit of Satan. And Jesus here tells us that all sins can be forgiven, even most blasphemy. Any sin can be forgiven if you come to Christ in humility and repentance, trusting his life, death, and resurrection. The one thing which can keep us from forgiveness is to deny Jesus, to reject his word and his spirit. As Jesus said, whoever does not believe, this is John 3, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Refusing to believe in the name of Jesus is the one thing that will keep us from forgiveness. And if refusing to believe in the name of Jesus will keep us from forgiveness, how much more will slandering him? Not just denying his word and his spirit, but rejecting him as from the devil. That's the most serious kind of blasphemy, and it's the unforgivable sin. As long as men and women reject Jesus, they will never be forgiven. 
practically, if you're a Christian and you're worried about committing the unforgivable sin, you don't, you don't need to be worried. You've already acknowledged that Jesus is Lord, that he came from God and he's filled with the Spirit of God. You've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The, the unforgivable sin isn't something you can wander into unaware. It's an active, intentional slander of the Spirit of God in Christ. You should be worried if you haven't believed in Jesus, the only Son of God. If, if you've consistently rejected him, you're outside of his protective arms and you're dead in your sins. You may not have blasphemed against Jesus, but if you haven't yielded yourself to him in faith, you stand condemned. It matters what you do with Jesus. It matters what you do with Jesus first because those who slander God's work in Jesus are blasphemers of God. The second group we're going to deal with is Jesus' family. Remember them? They'd come to rescue Jesus because they thought he was out of his mind. Verse 31, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Hey, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Notice what Jesus does here. We've got two groups, right? His family outside and the crowd inside. His family, who have known him forever, they think they know Jesus better than anyone. And they don't believe him at this point. They, they think he's in, in the loony bin. They don't see, at least some of them, that the Spirit of the Father was at work in Christ the Son. They couldn't see God at work in Jesus. Those who were actually closest to Jesus were blind to the truth. And then you've got the crowd, on the other hand, this massive group of people who barely know Jesus at all, in one sense. And like, Jesus barely knows them. And yet, of the two groups, Jesus looked at the crowd, those ones who were around him, probably the disciples mixed in there, and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. His family, by implication, wasn't doing the will of God. God the Son was standing right in front of them, and they couldn't see him or recognize him for who he was. It matters what you do with Jesus. Whoever you are, no matter how well you think you know Jesus or religion or Christianity, those who can't see God's work in Jesus don't truly know Jesus. That's our second point. Those who can't see God's work in Jesus don't truly know Jesus, whoever they are. His family thought they knew him because they'd seen him lose his baby teeth and learned to ride a 10-speed bike. And they didn't really know Jesus because they were blind to the fact that in front of them was the incarnate God. They were blind to the will of God. I think this should be a warning to us not to take our relationship to Jesus for granted. There's a difference between proximity and faith. 
we can have a sort of proximity to Jesus, be around him a lot, without true faith. You could go to church every Sunday without really knowing him. His family did. They were in synagogue with him every week. His brothers thought they knew everything about him. They could tell you story after story about Jesus. But they didn't really know him. They, they could have told you his favorite food. They could have told you whether or not he snored and how loudly. But they didn't really know him. Not yet. They simply couldn't see that Jesus was the only son of God. Do you take your relationship to Jesus for granted? Because you go to the church or know the pastor or give to the church or because you volunteer at the church or whatever else it is, being around Jesus won't guarantee that you know Jesus. It really helps. It really helps to come to church to get to know Jesus. But those who can't see God's work in Jesus don't truly know Jesus, whoever they are. That's the second group in our passage this morning. Those who can't see God's work in Jesus, even if there is family, don't truly know Jesus. It matters what you do with Jesus. The third group in this passage is the crowd. This miscellaneous, random crowd who had gathered to sit in wonder at the teacher's feet. Verse 32, And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. What we can say about the third group is this. Those who do God's will in following Jesus are his true family in God, whoever they are. Jesus loved his physical family. My guess is that after this, he went to greet them, but first he needed to make a point. So he pointed at a crowd of strangers and called them his family. This ragtag group of onlookers was, in Jesus' own words, his true family. Why? Verse 35, again. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is an amazing truth. We saw that for the scribes, rejecting Jesus was a doorway to condemnation. Matters what you do with Jesus. We saw that for his family, being around him wasn't enough to guarantee that they really knew him. It matters what you do with Jesus. But for this ragtag group of cripples and demon-possessed and former lepers and tax collectors, fishermen, just good regular folk, the fact that they did the will of God meant that they were in the family of God. It matters what you do with Jesus. Rejecting him leaves you outside in the cold, apart from God's family and God's presence, condemned by your sin against your creator. But doing the will of God means entrance into the warmth of God's family and household. It means you get to know God to sit at his kitchen table. As Steve would say, to have your picture on God's refrigerator. It's, it's interesting that Jesus chose to say that it's those who do the will of God who are in the family. Jesus here isn't teaching works righteousness. 
he doesn't mean that in keeping God's rules, we can keep up our relationship with him. The consistent teaching of scripture is that by the works of the law, no man or woman can be saved. We're all sinners and dependent on the grace of Christ. The context of the passage helps us to understand what Jesus means by those who do the will of God. He means his followers. He's pointing to the people in the room who are with him as contrasted against those who are outside, who haven't believed in him. In John 6, I think this is helpful, Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. The first work that Jesus calls us to do and the first thing that we must do if we're gonna submit ourselves to God's will is to believe in Jesus. God sent Jesus to the Jewish people and to the whole world so that sinners would believe in him and be saved. The scribes, and at this point, Jesus' family, were not doing the will of God in believing Jesus, but the ones inside the room had done the will of God. They believed Jesus. They'd seen the one who God had sent and believed in him. Those who do the will of God in believing in Jesus are Jesus' true family and are in the family of God. It's worth mentioning here that once you're in the family of God, you'll keep doing the will of the Father. Not perfectly, but just like in any good human household, to live under the roof, you do what Dad says. When we really come to know Jesus and to do the will of God, in putting our faith in him, God by his spirit actually does something in our heart. Jesus described that heart operation by saying that we, all of us actually have to be born again by the spirit. We need new hearts. New hearts which instead of hating the will of God and loving sin, begin to love the will of God and hate sin. Doing the will of God in believing Jesus grants us entrance into the family of God, but once we're in, doing the will of God in obedience to him becomes the natural fruit of belonging to the family of God. I'll, I'll say that again because I think it's, help, it's, it's important to know the distinction. Doing the will of God in believing Jesus, in believing Jesus, is what grants us entrance to the family of God. But once we're in, once we're in the family, doing the will of God in obedience to him becomes the fruit of belonging to the family. We never work our way into God's family. You can't do it. You don't have to. Jesus, in giving us a taste of the truth of adoption, which Paul expounded in his letters in the New Testament, In Jesus, by the renewing, regenerating work of the Spirit in our hearts, we're brought into the family of God. We're made brothers and sisters of Jesus, God the Son. And we're made sons and daughters of God the Father. That's a glorious thing. Because not only do we have the invitation and the confidence to walk into God's kitchen at any time with all of our anxieties, fears, and concerns, 
but we're also given the promise of great spiritual and eternal riches. This is from, a, uh, from Romans chapter 8. For you, he's talking to Christians here, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. When Christ returns and one day makes all things new, ushering in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be heirs with Christ. And even now we're heirs. We just haven't gotten the inheritance yet. We'll be heirs of Christ, of all that God has in store, a renewed, perfect, sinless creation. And we will live together with God in eternal happiness. That's a beautiful inheritance. Better than anything anyone on this earth could ever leave you. Uh, Miranda and I are working slowly through a Bible study called Sonship. And one of the main points of the curriculum is basically this. The joylessness and the fruitlessness of so many Christians is directly connected to a lack of understanding and really believing the truth of our adoption in Christ. Basically, we act like orphans. I think this is true. So many Christians simply do not understand the infinite joy and warmth of the heart of the Father. So many Christians are constantly wondering whether or not they're really in even after they've believed. Just one implication of this has to do with the spiritual disciplines. If you struggle in maintaining a vibrant life of personal prayer and scripture reading, ask yourself this. Do I believe that God is personally, warmly inviting me into his presence in prayer? Do I believe that when I come to his word, he's actually anxious to speak to me? Or do I think he's reluctant and distant and cold? Because if you believe the second, you haven't understood your adoption in Christ. God loves you more than you love him. Like a father should be with his child, God is never the one to cut off fellowship. He always welcomes us into his presence. Those who do God's will in following Jesus are his true family in God. And if we as Christ followers actually believed that in our daily lives, our lives would change. Those who do God's will in following Jesus are his true family in God, whoever they are. You don't have to be a religious expert like the scribes to be in God's family. In fact, their stubborn legalistic religion actually kept them from the family. You don't have to be very familiar with Jesus or church either. In fact, as with Jesus' family, that could actually blind you to who Jesus really is. But if you're prepared to simply come to Jesus in faith, 
to admit your sin for what it is, to repent of it and to turn from it, to plead with Jesus for forgiveness by his blood, to put your faith totally in him as totally sufficient, you can be in the true family of God. Thankfully, we know that the story didn't end here for the religious leaders or for Jesus' family. Many of those in positions of religious authority among the Jews eventually did come to Christ, including the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee. There's hope for religious people. Jesus' family seems to have come around too. James, the brother of Jesus, who is in all likelihood one of the brothers outside here with a straitjacket already, eventually became an early leader in the church and wrote the New Testament book of James. There's hope for religious people, and there's hope for people who've spent their whole lives being around Jesus without believing in, in him. Do God's will in following Jesus. No matter who you are, you can be part of his family. You can be in the family of God. It matters what you do with Jesus. Amen? This is good news. Let's pray. Father, we don't, we don't want to be like the people who saw Jesus and rejected him. We thank you for all those who are in this room who in meeting Jesus have actually come to love him and to trust him. We thank you for bringing us into your true family. Thank you for adoption. Teach us to live like we're in your family. Remind us daily that we're no longer orphans. Please be with those in this room and in our families and community who we love and who have spent their whole lives rejecting and ignoring you. Invade their lives and their heart with your Holy Spirit. Give the gift of faith to our friends and to our families so that they will turn to you and join the family of God. We pray all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Final song before we close will be number 434. Let's stand and sing the first and the last verses of Revive Us Again, 434. Revive us, amen. First and the last verses. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and Revive us again, fill each heart with us.